Well, I'm going to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, this morning, from verse 1, and looking at the genealogy of Jesus, but then I'm going to preach on these five different testimonies of five women in the genealogy of Jesus. But let's hear the Word of God, first of all, and how important this genealogy is, that Christ was prophesied that he had to come through Abraham and through David, and he was perfectly fulfilled to be the promised Messiah. Matthew 1 verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Zalmon, and Zalmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, and Abihud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly but as he considered these things behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying Joseph, 
Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, the title of the sermon this morning is Five Women in the Genealogy of Jesus. You may be sat here thinking, well, I'm not sure how much I got out of that Bible reading. Well, the Word of God is inspired by the Lord, and it's not just given to us as individuals, it's given to the people of God. And this is a very important chapter for us. Why is that? Well, it proves for us and it teaches us that Jesus fulfilled all that was promised by God, that he was in the line of Abraham and the line of David. In fact, there was a Jewish lady, I think she's still alive today, a well-known singer, and when she heard that reading, for example, we've just had here, God used that to bring her to Christ. She'd been told her whole life, well, don't pay any attention to Jesus. He's for the Gentiles. He's not for the Jews. And she didn't know any different. And she heard this genealogy being read and suddenly realized, hang on a moment, this is a Jewish book. Well, technically speaking, it's God's divine book, but she saw that Jesus, according to the flesh, was Jewish, and God got her attention, and she ended up being born again and being brought to Christ. But this morning, we're going to look at five brief testimonies of women who are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And I don't know about you, their names are did he pick them up? Tamar is the first one. Rahab is the second lady. Ruth is the third. The fourth is not actually mentioned by name. It's called, we know it's Bathsheba, but it's the wife, she's mentioned in Matthew's genealogy as the wife of Uriah. And fifthly, Mary, the mother of Jesus, according to the flesh. So we're going to look at these different women this morning and see what we can glean from them. And what we're reminded of in the Westminster Confession of Faith, in chapter 11, it tells us this, that the justification of believers in the Old Testament was in all these respects one and the same with the justification of believers under the New Testament. Wow. Wow. In the Old Testament, Ruth and Rahab, they were looking forward to the future Christ. And that's where they put their faith. Likewise, we look back to Christ. But it's the same justification to be declared not guilty. We thank God we have one God, we have one book. But before we get to Tamar, uh, I don't know if you have a Christmas tree in your house or not, we do, and I noticed something on my tree which I've not noticed for a few years. Uh, because, because we've got a real tree, and on the top of the tree, we've got a star. If you've got a tree, we always put a star on the top. But the tree is beginning to kind of bow down a bit, so the, the star got my attention. I thought, I need to try and bend this back, and no matter what I did, it kept on going back, but I thought, well, forget about that. I thought, I've never really noticed the star we put on our Christmas tree and it made me think again about the glory of the coming of Christ. That God arranged a very star 
to point to the very house where Jesus was to be found. And the shepherds and the wise, well, not the shepherds, but the wise men were pointed to where Jesus was. And they came in and they bowed down and worshipped him. So God will do whatever it takes to bring his elect to the people of God and to bring them in, even if in Christ's birth it involved a star. But our first heading is Tamar. Did you notice in 1 and verse 3, we read there it says, And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Technically speaking, Tamar, our first heading, isn't even the kind of official wife of Judah. Jesus is promised to come from the tribe of what? From the tribe of Judah. What does Judah mean? It means praise. What a beautiful name uh, to give a son, Judah. But it's more than that. It was uh, prophesied that Christ would come through the line of Judah. And in the time of the birth of Jesus, the official priesthood wasn't from Judah, it was from Levi. But the thing is, when we look at the background of Judah, and we haven't got time to go into it all now, but we see sin is fully portrayed before us here in the life of Tamar. And you can read that maybe later today from Genesis chapter 38. We may think, well, this is wonderful. Tamar is in the line of Jesus. Let me go and find out what happens. And I haven't got time to go into all the story, but what happens is, is that Judah, his, his wife dies, he's widowed, and Tamar was also widowed uh, by Judah's sons, and she uh, was going to be promised one other son from Judah, but that never happened. And then the story tells us this, is that Tamar dresses up as a prostitute and Judah enters into a relationship with this, a fornicating relationship with Tamar and as a result she gets pregnant. And when Judah finds out he's really angry, he's really angry and says this woman should be, should be destroyed, should be burned. And then uh, they find out or Judah finds out well, who has done this? And she's given a, a, a staff and, and a signet ring and so forth, all that belonged to Judah, and it's revealed Judah was the one who got her pregnant. And she gives birth to twins. And one of the, the firstborn is called Perez. And so we see in God's providence that that though Jesus comes through the line of Judah, we see from Judah alone that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what we see in the genealogy of Jesus and these five women, we see the grace of God. Why are any of us saved here this morning? It's not because we're a superstar human being. Is that true? We don't buy into the world's narrative and saying, well, you know, that we'll talk about some famous athlete and they say, oh, we, he's not only a very good athlete, but he's, he's a wonderful human being. Well, that's not the testimony of the Bible. And here we see a sin-saturated chapter. And what we're pointed to is that any of us that are saved, 
There's only one reason why we are saved and God keeps us saved is the undeserved grace of God. The undeserved grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And so Judah was angry and then he, when he found out it was Tamar, he, he said, she's more righteous than I. So what we see first of all is the unconditional grace of God and that Judah's sin and Tamar's sin points us all forward that we need a savior to deliver us from sin. And this is pointing forward to Jesus Christ. Our second person is found in chapter 1 and verse 5. Who's the second person? It says here, And Zalmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab. Now this is going to stretch our faith further this morning. Who was, if we think Tamar was a surprise, then Rahab is even more so. Why is that? Rahab was a Canaanite, prostitute yes prostitute in the line of jesus she was in the line of jesus and she's hearing we find in joshua chapter 2 and joshua chapter 6 with the fall of the walls of jericho we find in chapter 2 something wonderful about one person in the whole city of jericho it's not the king it's not this person that person it's Rahab, and Rahab testifies that she heard about God's power in the Exodus to deliver Israel, and as a result of that, uh, uh, she says, our hearts melted also with the destruction of Sihon and Og. Many people heard of this testimony, but somehow Rahab, she heard with, with ears to hear. In chapter 6, she put her faith in the God of the Bible. Imagine that. A prostitute of all the inhabitants. And what does the Bible say in Romans chapter 10? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So a question for us today is, how do we hear the Word of God when it comes? Because for Rahab, it wasn't as coming as clearly to her as we're actually hearing today. For Rahab, she heard about what God had done, and she put her faith in the God who'd done these great things. So may we all, may we hear in the same way as Rahab heard. And so in Joshua chapter 6, we find that the deliverance came, the walls fell down flat, but Rahab and her whole family were saved. Rahab the prostitute was saved from the judgment that would come. And not only that, she was saved and her sins were forgiven. And who does she marry? We find in, in, in chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, And Zalmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Here was a Canaanite prostitute who got saved and was grafted in to the church in the Old Testament. She was saved, and not only was she saved, she becomes a remarkably godly woman, just like her husband, who raised this remarkably godly man called Boaz. So she didn't just 
you know, say, well, I believe in God and I'll just carry on living the way I want. I'll carry on in a life of prostitution. No, she turned her back on prostitution. And what do we learn from this? God is a God of grace. How would we be if we knew that so-and-so on the row on some, you know, we used to be a prostitute? I think in the church we could be possibly in danger of God's judgment because he says examine yourself, not the other person. And so she was a prostitute, but she was brought in to the people of God. And so what do we learn from this? Just like the Apostle Paul, there's no limits and no barriers as to who God can save. If we think someone can't be saved, that's our opinion. But God doesn't hold that opinion. So if you're praying for someone to be brought to faith, Rahab teaches us, keep on praying. Keep on persisting. There's no limits to who God can and may save. So Rahab is the second person. Who's the third person? It's Ruth. Uh, Ruth's name means friendly or friendship. And Ruth again, now another Gentile uh, in this line. Um, it, she um, uh, becomes in verse uh, 5 again, that Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And though we read the genealogy of Jesus, and there are high points, and there are low points, and then there are high points again, like the time of Jehoshaphat, which we lead there, and then we get another low point in the time of Manasseh, who himself was one of the most wicked kings of Judah, and yet the Word of God tells us he got converted. But it all points us to the power of Christ. And in Ruth, we find this very sad providence, don't we? How uh, Naomi was widowed, and yet as a result of this, this is what Ruth ended up professing. Listen to these words, what Ruth professed. She said to Naomi, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave you. She said this. Do not urge me. This is what Ruth says to Naomi. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth was not only committed to the God of Israel, but she was also committed to Naomi, and that led her to come back to what town? She came back to live in a town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem, and was in the line of Jesus Christ, who himself was predicted hundreds of years later to be born in Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? It means the house of bread. Who was going to be born there later on? Jesus Christ, the one who his own lips spoke out and said what? I am the bread of life. Have you eaten and tasted of that bread? Because that bread, if spiritually, if you've eaten that bread and your sins have been forgiven, eternal life will never be taken from you. 
Just like the Lord is our shepherd, he's not only covenanted himself to be the good shepherd in this world, but for all eternity. Let me just say it again. He's not only covenanted himself in this world, but for all eternity to be our shepherd. And so in heaven we will meet Ruth. We'll also, we expect to meet Queen Elizabeth II. But Queen Elizabeth II in heaven will not be giving speeches on TV in heaven. She'll be sat there like anybody else, saved by the grace of God. There's only one person who will be exalted in heaven, and it will be the triune God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. What a promise we have in the gospel here. But before we move to the next fourth person, let's just remind ourselves, like Ruth, she turned her back on things behind her, and we have to do that at times uh, as Christians. In fact, Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and does what? And looks back is fit to serve in the kingdom of God. And sometimes the devil comes up to people and says, you know, look how much better life was before you became a Christian. Everything was fine. Yes, it may have been fine, but, it, but if it was without Jesus Christ, it was a waste of time. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit to serve in the kingdom of God. What's plowing? Well, we don't really plow a lot in Sheffield, I don't think. But plowing used to be with, let's say, horses or ox. And uh, a man would have to have his hand on the plow and look forward to have a, have a straight furrow. And if he looked over his shoulder, then everything would start going like this. And so we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And Ruth turned her back on everything to follow Christ. So let's keep following Christ. The fourth person we see in verse 6 let me read that to us. It says, And Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon. So far, so good. By the wife of Uriah. Well, notice that Bathsheba here is not even mentioned by name. But we know the story that Uriah seemed to have been a, a man of remarkable righteousness. I don't know what his standing would be before the Lord. We leave that before the Lord on the last day, but he's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. But what happened here? King David gave, fathered a son called Solomon, and it was an adulterous relationship. And so we see sin again all over the genealogy. But let's just be honest for a moment. Let's just say it was your name in there. Let's just think it was your name and someone would be preaching about you this morning. There's not a single person mentioned in this genealogy who is not a sinner. The variety of sins would vary, but there are only one kind of people in heaven, and they are sinners. Sinners who've been saved through Jesus Christ. So may we never be self-righteous and think, no, that's not me, that's not me. We thank God that we have a forgiving God through Jesus Christ. And so here we find uh, the final person 
is Mary. And here we find in 1 verse 18, at the end of the line, the fifth woman mentioned in verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David. And we notice the first verse of Matthew's gospel, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Christ was in the lineage of both men, Abraham and David. But verse 17 says, all the generations from David to the deportation to Babylon, the 14 generations and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And listen to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God is invisible, but he is with us today. And we're going to finish off with Mary. It says in the word of God that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves. The Lord will save. That's the very name of Jesus. Now, I think for us as Christians, we sometimes shy away from talking about Mary because we think, well, we don't want people to get a wrong impression because there have been false teachings regarding Mary for hundreds of years and propagated by the Roman Catholic Church. And they teach that Mary is not a sinner. But the Bible nowhere teaches us that anybody is not a sinner except Jesus Christ. And I think, what does this do? It, it, it kind of not only undermines the authority of the Bible, but it robs the gospel of glory. Here we find that Mary, a sinner, conceived and bore a son. And so we believe in the virgin birth as a supernatural act of God. But something more for us, and here is the glory of God, that God has ordained that his, his only begotten Son, who took upon himself the name Jesus, would come into this world born through a sinner, Mary. Isn't that remarkable? What a wonderful thing. And yet Jesus himself was without sin. And so this whole idea, this false doctrine regarding Mary, it, it robs the gospel of its glory because we, here we see the grace of God that the Christ came into this world through a sinner called Mary, who we firmly believe will be in heaven. But she won't be in heaven because she was sinless. She will be in heaven like anybody else, a sinner saved by grace. 
And listen to this confession that young Mary made as a young girl when she found that she was pregnant or going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This is what she said. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, 36 to 38. Who does that remind us of? It reminds us of Rahab. Behold, let it be to me according to your word. She heard the word of God and she believed it. How about you this morning as you're hearing the word of God? Everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. From the youngest boy to the youngest child, anybody who calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. But look at the suffering that Mary had, seeing her own son, who she gave birth to in Bethlehem, eventually dying on a cross. How many of you love to hold newborn babies? Do you know that feeling? To have a newborn baby in your arms. And would you agree that every time you see the birth of a new child, maybe you don't physically there in the, in the labor room, you may be as a father, but, but you know, within just a few weeks, and you see the perfection of this baby. Have you ever thought, you know, you look at the babies, the tiny little hands, and there, the little tiny little fingernails, and you think, how can this happen? It happens because God is alive, and he is the author of life. Every human being is given life and breath by almighty God. And so Mary, no doubt, would have done what you and I do and Joseph and looked at baby Jesus, the perfectly formed little fingers on his hands. And what a wonderful thing it is to stroke the cheek of a little baby, isn't it? It kind of feels so smooth and soft. But Mary and Joseph may well have done that. But the day would come when those cute little hands would one day be nailed to a tree in Jerusalem and a nail would be pierced through the hands of Jesus, the one who had never committed any sin whatsoever. And this was done not for his sake, but for our sakes, that whoever looks to Jesus will be saved. And we all of us have the opportunity, whether people listening online or every single person in the chapel this morning, we're all without excuse this morning that we would put our faith in Jesus Christ. Just like Rahab, just like Mary. And as we close this morning, let me just quote the, some lines from what's known as the Nicene Creed. It goes on in the beginning and says that Jesus is very God of very God. Indeed, he is. But then it says, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate, in other words, became flesh of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also under Pontius Pilate, suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures. 
And so we're here to preach this morning. We're here to put our faith in Jesus Christ and none other. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the sinless life of Jesus. And we believe that he lived a perfect life that ultimately led to him being crucified and him being buried, the corpse being laid into the tomb. But on the third day, this same Jesus was raised from the dead. If anybody ever proclaims that Jesus was not born of the Virgin Mary, they have not been sent from God. And there are many people today who would deny the virgin birth. But may you and I not be such a person. Well, we can say this morning, as we think with Christians around the world, blessed be God for Jesus Christ. With these five women, Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and then Mary, we see the grace of God glistening, pointing us all to Christ.